Psalm 19, chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Welcome back to the Blue Collar Bereans Podcast with your hosts, Nate Penley and Scott McGrady. Hello. We are back. It's been been a little while for us here a little bit but not as long as it's been at other times <laughs> we have had worse hiatuses <laughs> uh but we are back and excited to jump in and get back to our thousands of audience members out there are maybe tens of tens? singles and singles? yeah yeah whatever it <laughs> I is i think just married couples too <laughs> yeah <laughs> well regardless we're glad to be back here talking to you guys and we're glad that you are listening and uh this week we're gonna try to tackle the sufficiency of scripture we've talked in the past about why we believe the bible why the bible is our authority but we, we're gonna try to bolster that up and go a little step further talk about its sufficiency because i think it's pretty easy to say the bible is sufficient but what do we really mean by that sufficient for what do we really believe it's sufficient what is it sufficient for and how that plays out in our everyday lives, in our church lives, and everything that we do. I feel like this is a, an area that I certainly didn't understand for a very, very long time. And it's important. What is sufficiency of Scripture? Um, what is it sufficient for? Is that probably the best way to start this? What, what, are we at, what is it sufficient for? Maybe we should talk about that. Sure. Well, it's sufficient for everything it's intended for. Okay. I think we can start there because there's a lot of a lot of times where you know we talk about well look at this statement this is not very scientific well that's was it meant to be a science book is that what it's aiming to teach us here right. in this passage obviously what is taught is not out of line with what would be the reality of truth and science and and those things but still so often we hear about like in Joshua with the sun standing still. Well, see, the sun can't stand still in the sky because the sun doesn't revolve around the earth. But okay, but it's not making a scientific statement. So the the scriptures are sufficient for what they're intended for. Right. And so Second Timothy three sixteen, you know, our our famous inerrancy passage, but it also, you know, just to read it, it said all scriptures God breathed or in the ESV version, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I feel like, you know, the traditional teaching of, of sufficiency of scripture says that scripture is sufficient for life and for godliness for all matters pertaining to faith. It is our authority that we go to, to give us the foundations of understanding truth apart from scripture i don't think we have the ability to discern and know what truth is so when we say that the scriptures are sufficient apart from the truth of god's word because we know that i'm gonna have to i'm struggling with the reference here but 
your word is truth. Um, John 17. John 17, where God's word is established as the foundation for truth. That's how we know what is true. We judge it according to the word of God. So without that foundation of knowing what truth is, we don't have the ability to really truly understand anything else in life. And I know there's there's often a critique like, well, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us everything as as you just mentioned. You're right. It doesn't it doesn't tell us everything, but it does tell us everything we need to know to build off of the foundations of truth. So apart from understanding the truth of God's word, we're really not going to be able to discern what is true uh, without this worldview builder, um, without this proper uh, lens through which we see and interact with all of creation, no matter what we're, what we're doing, whether it's scientific, whether it's mathematic, whether it's philosophical, if we don't have that foundation correct and based out of God's word, we're going to go wrong somewhere. So sufficiency. What is it insufficient for? As you said, you know, it's certainly it is all things pertaining to faith, life, godliness, how we know right from wrong. Because obviously when we talk about the gospel, which we do all the time, if we don't have the gospel right, there are major consequences to that. And then as you're, you're talking about this is the sufficiency for our life and godliness, for knowing truth, for right and wrong, for all of these things, for knowing God, which even in knowing God... You know, we see in the Psalms that knowledge starts with the fear of God. Right. And so really, we can't truly know anything uh, apart from that. And again, even that that comes from God's word. We see that in Psalm 19, you know, that the fear of the Lord is, is one of the synonyms that the psalmist used to refer to God's word. And so it's, this is the authority for those things in our lives. It's not the suggestion. It's this is the authority. And as we even talk about this as sufficient, we have to talk about that with that idea of authority. And that comes to, as you read from 2 Timothy 3.16, that this is what God breathed out. And because this is truly God's word, yeah, it was written by man, and we've discussed that before. And we discussed, too, how we can even trust the Bibles we have today. We, we've gone over that in past podcasts, and you know, I'll probably I'll put the links to those things in the show notes. But that idea that this is God's word. So it is trustworthy, it is true, it is sufficient for what he has given it for, and it is authoritative because the word that it is is the word of God who is our Lord, right? Psalm 24 uh, tells us that the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It belongs to him. Mm. And we read in Philippians 2 how since Christ had emptied himself and, and humbled himself to death, even death on the cross, that God the Father gave him the name that is above every name, and that the name of Jesus, the name Lord, that everyone would, would confess that he is Lord. You know, in, in 1 Timothy 6.15, we see that God the Father is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then we see that same exact, those titles again for Jesus in Revelation 19.16. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and this is his word. And therefore, it carries that authority uh, for our lives, uh, that we would trust in its sufficiency and obey it and believe it. John MacArthur said, Christians understand that the Bible is God's revelation, his authoritative standard for life. Other sources of information may help us through life, but only the Bible has divine authority. 
Therefore, we must be diligent students of the word, faithfully reading it to discover what it says and systematically studying it to learn what it means. And so I think, you know, even that, again, speaks to its sufficiency and in, in truly knowing its word and knowing what it means, knowing what it's saying for our lives, that we would live it out and, and believe in its sufficiency and authority. So does that mean that unbelievers can never get anything right, can never find truth, can never proclaim truth or, or discover it? No, obviously they do all the time, right? I mean, there's unbelieving scientists and unbelieving, you know, journalists and unbelieving whatever that that come across truth in the sense that they are communicating something that truly is. But even that, what's behind that truth to really understand life and how to live and why to live, uh, what is the... What are the building blocks of life? What is the foundation that we can stand on to say this is why we are living? That only comes through an understanding of God's word. Right. So understanding that there it, there has to be a standard for right or wrong that that establishes what is truth, that establishes what is right or wrong, what is moral, and establishing that scripture is that is is our starting point. And so that is what is going to inform what we do, what we believe, what you know, everything in life. And it does, I think it does truly push us to understand the world in which we live. It does explain it. As you know, I forget who gives the illustration, but you know, the Bible is not like a, a, a car manual that shows you how to change oil, check this or that. So it doesn't tell us everything, even in different, you know, sciences like philosophy or under, you know, different things. It doesn't, it doesn't have all that in there, but it certainly has the foundations for understanding that to being able to under to understand that and understanding human nature and how that affects everything that we do. And, and even along those lines too, and uh, with science and philosophy and other things where uh, men are digging into different things. I mean, e- even still, even the truth that they can find and, and say, Hey, this is, these are things that we can, you know, use the scientific method on and show that these, this is real and true. And uh, even in those things, uh, that's only because of God. Uh, I think that comes from what we would call common grace mm-hmm. that God allows for even uh, someone whose mind is affected by their sin and, and all those things to be able to come up with truth. But even still, even coming up with different ideas and, and so reasoning through things and all of that really is borrowed from the idea of believing in a one true God. Right. Because even those who would deny there being a one true God, there's no reason or logic behind anything without there being a a transcendent uh, creator giving purpose right. and meaning to everything, without there being a transcendent moral authority right. uh, for those things. So so what what is again, what's what's the truth behind even those truths that men come up with? Again, that can't be known apart from God, because even, again, without there being a God, there, there really is no reason to think there is reason right. or anything that, that should make anything make sense uh, apart from a creator that has put purpose into everything that is. Right. So what you're talking about is, is that what's what we would call a biblical worldview. Right. So this is, this is starting from the beginning. This is how we interpret the world. Um, we have a a God, and that is the only reason we have life. It's the reason we have matter, time. In these concepts, you know, we have time, matter, and there's existence of material. That only makes sense 
in a biblical worldview where there is an ultimate being that has created this life. It doesn't even make sense that matter could exist apart from this infinite God. And so it gives us, it gives us a framework to understand life. And so now as we approach it and look at it, we observe, we can observe that, you know, there is a God who is, who is sustaining life, you know, as, as, uh, the scriptures say, you know, Jesus is the author and sustainer of life, you know, apart from this, omnipotent being we couldn't even have life and so it gives us understanding for why we are here um, yeah and i think you know someone might kick back and say well we we have reasons for knowing why there's life and you know so we have the big bang and we have evolution and we have those things but that the answer really isn't found there and even no. as you've heard scientists talk you know in, in recent years you know i remember reading a couple articles about how if their understanding of the Big Bang and how things would have transpired. There's things that they're seeing in the universe that can't be accounted for. And so that's where they'll come up with such things as uh, dark matter or dark energy. Right. Uh, there's these things that they're not really, they don't know there's what's there. They just, there has to be something to, to account for the things they're seeing in the universe. Mm -hmm. But then there are some who are saying, well, if those things are there, that's not accounted for in the Big Bang theory. And so there's been articles about coming up with different theories that would account for there being dark matter and dark energy uh, out in the universe. Uh, but all it is is it's not they don't know that's the whole reason why it's it's they're they have these things called dark matter and dark energy because they, they don't know what's there right. they're just seeing things that they can't account for so they're just saying okay well there's just this other unknown factor somewhere that dark matter of the gaps right and so that's that's what they're trying to pull together but again so no even those who would kick back and say no we know how these things happen well no you clearly we don't apart no. from the truth of a right. creator and God and, and even an evolution. Like, okay, let's, let's just for the sake of argument, say, right. say, okay, there is evolution. What is guiding that and controlling that we would have what we see today as intelligent life. Right. And, and you know, the, the argument that's always brought up is the eyeball, right? Look how intricate the eyeball is and how, uh, how just uh, detailed and there's a word I'm looking for. But there's there's irreducible complexities. Complexity. That's in, the word I wanted. That right, right. That doesn't make sense. They right. can't. They something as complicated as an eyeball or even the the human brain and complex inner organs of our bodies. They, they don't make sense changing one cell at a time. Right. Because they in evolution, require massive leaps. Right. Right. Because evolution right. says that if if you're gonna if this is going to be passed on, it has to be useful. There has to be something that gives it makes it stronger to survive. Right. Mm -hmm. But the eyeball, one part without the other part, or something, you know, the cones without the eye, all these different parts of the eye, they don't work apart from each other. So just having one part, why would that get passed down? Why would that make it stronger? Right. And so those things are curveballs that right. that have to be dealt with that show no there there's something else here that you're missing <laughs> right and and it's usually so much sim it's so simple but there's and this is where scripture does point to the fact that we in our sinful nature just want to deny the simple the simple logic that is involved in this biblical worldview i mean i i as a kid many a nights had you know it, it really seemed to me as a childish exercise where did you come from I came from mom and dad. Where did mom and dad come from? Well, they came from their parents. And and you can do this, you know, in reverse, in infinite, like the, uh, not Looney Tunes, but the Animaniacs girl that just says wide everything. And eventually you get back <laughs> right. to this point where you have to, you have to point to the source, the origin of life. Yeah. And 
what makes sense apart from our an infinite God, and and there there is none. And this is you know the scriptures really are the only thing that gives a true understanding of of the meaning of life, of the origins of life, that ha- that make it all make sense. And so it it really is sufficient for explaining what we need to know about life. No, it doesn't doesn't help me fix my car, but I, but. You know, it gives me the framework to be able to create a car. Right. It gives me the framework to be able to, I mean, not me, I could never create a car, but somebody did, you know, throughout the course of time and, and praise God that he's allowed humanity to make and create the things that they have and the technologies they have. But really all the greatest advancements we see come out of Western culture. I know that's a taboo thing to say anymore, but that have come out of that, the major advancements Really, you, you see they're the results of a Christian worldview right. that allow us to have what we have. Well, even modern science, we've got to where we were because of men who believed in God and wanted to think God's thoughts after him. Right. So that's why they investigated into nature and, and looked into to have that knowledge. I mean, that's what science means. Science means knowledge. Right. And so to look into that because they believed in a God who created order and they wanted to understand mm-hmm. that order and how everything fit together. And so men like Francis Bacon, who gave us the scientific method, that's, that's how we got to modern science today, because of men who believed in God and wanted to think his thoughts after him. Right. And he was fulfilling his biblical command to take dominion of this earth, taking it and, and you know, God gives us this earth, and here we are doing the best we can to take dominion of it. Um, that, that is our calling. It's why we're different than the animals. As image bearers, we have a special value that is given to us and God gives us a beautiful earth sometimes it certainly is still plagued by the curse and it has its problems but there is there are glimpses we get to have of true beauty that we'll hopefully one day be able to enjoy for all of all of eternity but in that you know we we get to see awesome things happen when the biblical re- worldview is lived out and when we're obedient to scripture who who's the guy from like the really dry comedian. He's in oh, different um, movies. Uh, ben Stein. Ben Stein. Jewish, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jewish guy. So his movie. So thinking like, right. thinking why someone may intelligent say. Intelligent design, I think. Was that it? I think it, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was intelligent design. No. Th- yeah, he did. I think he did that too. Okay. But there was also Expelled. That's oh, the one I'm yes. thinking of. Yep. Right. Or no. Yeah, yeah. It was that, Expelled. Yes, it was Expelled. That was a good one too. So thinking, like someone may say, so if it is that way, if it is this necessity of a creator and all of these things, why don't we know that? Why can't, why don't people, why don't we realize this? Well, we go to the scriptures, and again, the scriptures are sufficient to tell me who I am. I don't remember who said it. I, I want to say it was J.C. Ryle, but someone said about how other, you know, I read other books, but this book, the Bible, reads me. Right. And... um. So the scripture is sufficient to tell us about ourselves. Right. And what does the scripture tell us right there in Romans 1? Right. That we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Right. And so I remember in Expelled when he's interviewing Richard Dawkins and, you know, bringing, saying, okay, you know, we say this about evolution and this is where the science is. And there's like these other scientists who, again, they get expelled. They get kicked out of their right. uh, academic circles and everything else if they... Because they're not falling in line. Right. They're saying there's an intelligent designer. Right. They're not even saying... Who? The God, yeah, yeah. They're not giving him a name, right? 
They're just saying there is... Or saying, I, I love him and worship him or anything like that. Right. Right. Right, exactly. And so he's bringing the evidence of why they think that. And, and so well, how do you account for this? How, and, and Richard Dawkins would rather say, he says this to him, he'd rather say that aliens right. created <laughs> our world and you know put everything together than to say that there is a God. Right. And so... But even the childlike question, then... What's the next step? Then who created the aliens? Right. It, it just it's, it's an avoid. It's an avoidance of the ultimate question. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, again, looking at that, saying God's word is sufficient, mm -hmm. and people ask. I think it's the four basic questions. You know, of origin, identity, purpose, and destination. So where did I come from? Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? Mm -hmm. So the sufficiency of scripture in that. So yeah, like you said, it would take us, you know, keep where the aliens come from, where did, but scripture gives us all of that answer in that it answers the four basic questions that people come to ask of, right. of what is my origin? Who am I? Uh, what is my purpose and where am I going? We, we find that in scripture. The scripture is sufficient for us in giving us our understanding of where we've come from, who we are, why we're here and where we're going. If we know Jesus Christ, right? And if we don't know it also is sufficient to tell us where we're going. We just usually don't want to believe it. <laughs> but it is the answer to those things. Scripture is sufficient for us, and we have to stand then on that sufficient authority. So, the scriptures are sufficient for understanding the world. Well, yeah, I'm going to have to review these questions telling us who, telling us who we are. Who we are, where we've come from. Where we've come from. Why we're here. Why we're here and where, and where we're, we're going. going. Yeah. So it, it, it tells us who we are. We are we are image bearers. We are sinners that have fallen short of of a perfect perfect God. It tells us where we came from. You know, God created us. It tells us that this God is infinite and he's perfect and he is the standard of right and wrong, and that he does all things for a purpose. And so then it also tells us what was the third one? Uh, why we're here, so purpose. Why we're here, right. And so it tells us the why we're here, which is to bring glory to God as the ultimate infinite being worthy of glory. Um, and he's displaying that in his creation in this crazy dance of life that we live in right now. Uh, it, it is being displayed. Um, Let me see things Stephen in, in redemption, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lord of the dance. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's a real throwback. <laughs> and so then it also tells us where we're going, depending on your eschatology. But at the very least, there, you know, we can agree in the fact that Christ is going to come again. We can agree that he will make all things right. There will be final judgment. Final and resurrection. That, and there will be final resurrection. And so... We have that hope to look forward to. A new heaven, a new earth. For we can those, all agree on that. Right, right. For those who have believed. Right. Um, and for those who have not, there is a final judgment in that as well. So it explains that. And that gives us a framework, that biblical worldview, that we can now live our lives in a manner pleasing to God, with the right understanding of what we're doing. And it gives us all that we need for our personal lives for our social lives as we interact with each other in the church, how we are to do church. And of all things, I mean, it. there are some things the scriptures speak more about than others. Obviously, it doesn't speak about my car. It doesn't speak about many different 
scientific things. Uh, and how to turn off your <laughs> cell phone. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, it's all right. But it it gives us it gives us lots of instructions specifically about how we as Christ's bride in this dispensation. <laughs> in this current time, uh, how we are to live. And it's so easy, I think, and this is, I don't know, maybe we want to turn a corner here, but it's so easy to oftentimes our our sin nature kicks in and think that we know better. We might look at where we're supposed to be going. God tells us where we're supposed to be going, and we think, I know a good way to get there. I've got a good shortcut. This will really shave some time off of the, uh, the journey or it'll be a little better in some way. And so we start taking matters into our own hands when God has given us the roadmap that says, go this way. And it's easy to, to fall off the track. And so let's talk a little bit about some things that perhaps that we as people in the church should be doing. Because right now, I mean, let's just be honest. I've lived through 2020 now and I've got a t-shirt to prove it. And it's still, I still struggle with the fact that that is real. I wake up sometimes and think, did that really happen? Do you have a t-shirt that says, I survived 2020? Is that what it is? <laughs> I, I survived Corona? <laughs> I, have, I have a t-shirt that says, fear, worship since 2020. <laughs> that's even better. That's, I that, think that's, that's better. That's uh, pretty accurate. And yeah. that, that even came from what I believe is probably an atheistic comedian. <laughs> uh, but he's right on. It's still, I still just can't believe it sometimes, what we're doing. And as I've begun to really dig into the scriptures more so in the past few years of my life and understand church ministry, I, I'm looking at the church, I say, in general, and I just, I often can't believe, like, what are we doing here? And I, I realize, man, we've gone way off the track in a lot of areas. And just the church is unfortunately ill-equipped right now to speak to the culture that is seemingly tearing itself apart faster than I I can believe sometimes, faster than I can comprehend. We are ill-equipped. And I think that's because we don't really believe God's word is sufficient. We often think God's word doesn't have anything to say about race relations. So we turn to academics who are not grounded in a biblical worldview and think, wow, they're really speaking good things. When it comes to roles of gender, God's word's pretty clear from the very beginning. God made them male and female. And we we are afraid to speak that truth often because we know it'll be offensive uh, or whatever. But, you know, God has given clear black and white uh, descriptions of, of roles of, of men and women. And here we are seemingly ill-equipped. Either we don't know how to discuss this, we don't know how to talk to people about this, or we're afraid. And it's it's become very clear and evident to me that we need to have a talk about the sufficiency of God's Word and challenge each other to go back to it. Because God's Word does have a lot to say about these specific things. And so I think, first of all, I would like to just point to the fact that when God's Word gives us the standard for right and wrong, we really need to mean that. It is part of the gospel to talk about the law. It is part of the gospel to talk about the element that we fall short of. And it's very popular these days to think, well, you know, we need to get people to accept Jesus. So with that mindset and not really taking into account the whole biblical worldview, we, we would, might ask ourselves questions. How do we get them to accept Jesus into their hearts? How do we get them to do this? And so we come up with our our own brainstorming. What, what can we do? We can adjust our music. 
we can not talk about the popular hot button topics of the day. So let's give in to truth. We'll give you pronoun hospitality. <laughs> and so it will engage with your sin. Uh, and this this is not this is nothing more as I've engaged with it. And I say this preaching to myself because I spend a lot of time, a lot of time of my life living in a manner thinking that, well, if I just live a good life, I'll be the salt and that I'll earn the respect for them to want to come talk to me. They'll ask me about it. They'll inquire. And so I thought first, you know, you just got to make friends with people. But that logic doesn't really hold up because if my goal is to make friends, or as some people might even call friendship evangelism, what is it that you're bonding over? When you have people that are at odds with Christ, if you're bonding with people over things that, I should say, if you're bonding with them and not calling out their sin, it should be evident in all that we do that there is a holy, righteous God, and we shouldn't be ashamed to say that. We should live a life that does proclaim that. It doesn't mean that we go about it in a manner that is obnoxious, obnoxious, right? But often truth will come across as obnoxious. <laughs> and so, but that doesn't mean we back down. We don't back down. We don't compromise on the biblical truth that God has given. We don't hide that. I still think that we need to be unashamed and understand that when we do that, when we proclaim the truth, it, do, it has a job. God's word tells us what his job does. It divides people. And I struggled for a long time not wanting to be, because my, my main nature is one of a people pleaser. I don't like people to not like me. I want everyone to like me. I want everyone to have a good time. So I don't want to have to proclaim the part of the gospel that says, you are a wretched sinner. Uh, you have fallen short. What you're doing is sin. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to have to say that. Uh, but that's where I really had to realize that in the end, I wasn't fearing God as God's word tells me to do. I was fearing man. I was being very selfish in the way I was living this out. Like, I really think this is important for us to understand if we say we believe God's word and we do truly say it's sufficient for all things in life, we need to really make sure we hold ourselves accountable to that. Live it out. But Nate, you don't understand. Rob Bell, <laughs> Rob Bell said that the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. When you have in front of you flesh and blood, people who are your brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and co-workers and neighbors, and they love each other and just want to go through life. I mean, come on, Nate. It boggles my mind that I, I used to be caught up in this, but everything needs a definition. Even in like, because often, you know, this really what he's hinting at there, people that just want to love each other. So we need to be accepting. So that means we can accept the gay and lesbian lifestyle because they just love each other. Popular yard sign. Love is love. That is not a definition. You <laughs> cannot use the word to define the word. People just want to love each other. Please define love, Rob Bell. God says love. He displayed love by sacrificing himself to pay our debt. And he also 
in doing so shows what true righteousness is because in you know god being just had to pay the price of our sin and that that is like give it a definition i think part of the issue that i found especially in my own life i did not have biblical definitions i would have told you i believe god's word is true but if you would have used the word love with me i probably would have been functioning off of a non-biblical worldview definition of love understanding that there are proper definitions for everything we do. I'm trying to think of other words that, man, we, we get wrong so easily. But love is definitely one that we, we need Lately to... Lately, it's been justice. Justice is the big <laughs> one. And it, it is such a simple biblical definition for these words. <laughs> right. And then we, we try to change them or alter them. And that's a sad thing because just to mention justice, like... Yes, the Bible has a definition of this. Right. And you have men who have been, overall, the past however many years, faithful to the Word of God, and now suddenly don't know the biblical understanding of justice. Right. And are suddenly now siding with the world's definition of justice. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? I think it comes back to what we're talking about. And even though they would give lip service at least to the sufficiency and authority mm -hmm. of God's word. Right. There is a disconnect there. And I, I think, you know, Vody Bauckham's book fault lines. I think he, he gets to that when he explains like eventually guys who are kind of seemingly wrestling with this idea of critical race theory and social justice, uh, eventually they're going to have to take sides. These guys who have shown themselves to be, you know, over the years that we've shown themselves to be solid guys that are brothers in Christ, eventually they're going to have to choose a side because it's all going to go to one side or the other. Mm -hmm. I think in his book, he explains that out very well, better than I'm going to try and do off the top of my head right now. <laughs> but he's right. And it comes down to the sufficiency of God's word. Can God's word speak into this without critical race theory? Can God's word speak into what's going on around us sufficiently that we know how to deal with these things, and it certainly does. We certainly know that uh, prejudiceness and racism is wrong and wicked, but the way the world is going about it is not the answer to it. Right. It's the the answer and is it more wickedness more and more fuel hatred. to the fire, right? right? And that's why I just I, like I say, there are days I woke up and I'm like I can't believe that this is this is what I'm seeing in the news every day. I mean, just. Just and even the, the world's definition of love, how is that love? Right. <laughs> even if the world defines it. Right. But I guess and, there's more fluidity. Is that a word? Fluidity. <laughs> fluidity, well, that's it. <laughs> to the world's definitions. I guess when you don't have a, a transcendent moral authority and a transcendent definer of truth, then, yeah, there's, there's fluid to your supposed truth. And you make a good point because, as you said, I think it's, it's plenty of people that would all the while giving lip service to believing in God's word and giving those definitions. But I, I feel like what I'm finding the issue is, and even for me, oftentimes I've said so many biblical mantras throughout my life and, you know, would tell people all the time, yeah, I'm a sinner just like you, but really did I believe it? And often when, when I would say things uh, in the workplace or, or to friends or family, whoever, there was a disconnect in my mind. Um, with saying something and really believing it and living it out. And there, what I feel like is the temptation for me was pragmatism. And in my mind, you know, I'm doing a good thing. 
I'm not going to come right out and direct, you know, confront this sin in my mind. I'll just talk about the good things and offer Jesus as a good thing that, that will make their life better. And then we can eventually get to the sin, that kind of a, of a mindset. And that's, that's a pragmatic mindset where we think that, you know, it will work better this way. And so we compromise things. You know, I would still say what they're doing is sin, but, you know, let's not confront that right now. And I mean, I get to some degree, everything we do, there's an element of pragmatic thinking in all that we do. God has given us brains to to work and to reason, to logic, to look at things. But being pragmatic versus being principled is something that I think we need to talk about because God's word does give very specific layouts for right and wrong. It gives us very specific instruction as to how we are to live, how we to evangelize, what is supposed to change people. And I think we often think we know better, and that's where the pragmatism comes in. Well, I'll, I'll do it th- this way. And so what is popular right now? Well, right now, racism is a hot topic. And so we end up chasing our tails, doing whatever we can to stay relevant, and we create magazines with that very name so that we can <laughs> stay relevant. I mean, it's mind-boggling that that is the name of this magazine. And let me tell you, they certainly stay relevant, but there is, I, I don't think there's any amount of Christian logic on that publication, um, especially when you're quoting Richard Rohr and, and just, I mean, outright heretics on there. And I mean, you can see how that shapes their worldview and what they write there. And, and that's, that's, it's such a, almost, I hate to use the word, a slippery slope to start going down that, but it really is. It, we become pragmatic in the way we approach life when God's word is very principled. It gives us principles of right and wrong, and he tells us how we should act, what we should be proclaiming. And we so badly want to change that. And I think we make excuses by saying, well, it's going to work better this way. Look at this church, how well we're thriving, because we've used these pragmatic tools to help this church grow. But has it really? Are you functioning off of a biblical definition of church? Are you functioning off of a biblical definition of gospel? You've got a lot of people there, but I think you've compromised on your definitions. They're not biblical anymore in order to get success. Success by a non-biblical standard. And we've been seeing this for a while. I mean, when did did Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life and Purpose Driven Church, come out? (sighs) When I was in high school, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I mean, I I know I read them in college, but yeah, they they were out for a while by then. Yeah. I think at least. But, yeah, it's looked like this for a long time. I mean, for a while, I mean, going back to that, that point with him writing those books and saying, listen, this is how and he always prefaced it. Like, don't don't do just what we did. We're just telling you what we did mm-hmm. and how it worked. But don't don't copy us. <laughs> What's the point of the book then? Right. But I mean, even think the whole idea of of I think one way we see the the lack of sufficiency or the lack of belief of sufficiency and authority of God's word creep into the church as you're saying goes back a while and goes back into even our preaching that our preaching has to be shorter we need these little 20 minute sermonettes and it's got to be relevant relevant and as you know right. even made fun of the magazine which deserves it uh, right we what does that look like to be relevant you know we need to have these quick, short answers to life. We need five steps to a better marriage, and, and we need the secrets to financial freedom, and uh, we need to have know how to have our best life now. Mm-hmm. Um, we need relevance. And 
when we have those, the Bible tells us what is required of us and what he has designed us for. And so all of these things kind of focus around people saying we need to talk about people's felt needs. Mm. And that's what we need to address because, one, like you said, that's what's going to attract people. That's how we're going to get to preach the gospel mm-hmm. to them. That's how we're going to work. We're going right. to solve their – we need to address their felt needs. And there's a couple problems with that. Uh, one, it's challenging the idea of relevancy of the Scripture, as if if you're preaching the Bible, you're not going to be relevant. All right. If you're just going verse by verse through whole text, you're not going to be relevant. And there's a serious issue with that. The Bible speaks to who I am. Like I said before, I, again, I think it's J.C. Ryle says that this is the book that reads me. Mm-hmm. It, it speaks to who I am. It speaks to what my needs are. Now, uh, there may be felt needs because this is radio and people could see me doing the <laughs> finger <Air> quotes. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there may be felt needs that get addressed. My marriage can get addressed, Mm -hmm. but the Bible is going to tell me what God has designed marriage for and what he calls me to be in my marriage. It doesn't give me five steps to fix my marriage or to a better marriage. Mm -hmm. It tells me who I'm supposed to be in my marriage, and ultimately, I'm supposed to be more like Christ, Mm -hmm. despite whether or not my spouse grows to be more like Christ, although that's the purpose for her, too. But I'm to be more like Christ. It's going to tell me uh, about good stewardship and what that means, that really everything I have belongs to God. So it's not the secret of financial freedom, but how do I live my life in such a way that shows that everything I have really belongs to God? And it tells me how to think about having my best life now and how I should think about having my best life now, as others have said it, that if you have your best life now, you're going to hell because... This is not the best life. We're going to go see Jesus if we are saved. (laughs) Right. And that is the best life. We're going to go be like Jesus. Well, thanks for joining us in this segment of the Blue Collar Breeding Podcast. And until next time, don't take our word for it. Search the scriptures and be a Berean. A Blue Collar Berean. We'll see you next time.